For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guides for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So prepare to be empowered. Now, here are your show me the money hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group, and I'll start with you again today. Randy, how you doing, my friend? Doing very well, Jeff. Just happy to be alive here in the Ozarks. Yeah, it's always a great day in the Ozarks. And of course, it's a great day to be upright and enjoying everything there is to enjoy about fall. And Jake, how you doing? I'm just looking forward to leaves falling and temperatures <laughs> dropping. <laughs> well, you know, you and some other people, too. Of course, Randy and I like the warmer weather, but I did look out of my deck, and there are a couple of leaves out there. So that means fall is coming. I'm not looking forward to raking those things, but, you know, I am looking forward to a little bit cooler weather. And, uh, of course, everything, as we discussed earlier, is pumpkin spice, whether you like it or not. So fall is on its way. Thanksgiving will be here before you know it. And in a blink of an eye, it's going to be 2024. But let's go back to 20. 23 right now. Let's live in the present, talk about what is happening. There's a lot of things happening in the news, and I read a story that Kim Jong-un has, of all things, a bulletproof train, and he has headed that train in the direction of Russia and Moscow. Now, I cannot believe that there anything good can come from that. What's your opinion on that? You know, I hadn't heard that the train was bulletproof. I did uh, read but, that, yeah. But uh, I, I'll take your word for it. It's not <laughs> shocking, and he probably needs one. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think... Nothing good can probably come of him visiting Putin. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that bulletproof train, I mean, he is well-loved, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what he, they would uh, have you believe, and I'm not sure that's even true in his own country. But again, you know, uh, like Jake said, this visit, I don't see, uh, as one guy said, you know, those guys are up to no good, you can rest assured. I just don't see anything good coming from that. And if North Korea and Russia get together, I cannot believe that that is a good combination. That would be quite a superpower. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that a couple of things that work here, I don't know if he's trying to form an alliance with him just to maybe uh, get some additional weapons. You know, the rocket man up there has been developing extra weapons over the last few years. Randy and using the Trumpisms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little rocket and, man. And uh, Chi, I'm sure, is not happy about this, too. That's really close over there in pretty right. close proximity. And, you know, I don't see Chi taking a back seat to Putin, nor Putin taking a back seat to Chi. And Kim Jong-un is probably just trying to, if he can form an alliance with Russia, I would think that he could feel a little better about what he's up to over there. But again, at the end of the day, not a good scenario. Yeah, and uh, Jake and I were talking yesterday off the air. We had a phone conversation, and we were talking about something that you and I remember, Randy, and that was when we were kids, when there was the Bay of Pigs, and there was the Cuban Missile Crisis and so forth. And, I mean, I don't know if this is anything like that. I don't think it's that severe, but still, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad, Jeff. I said, you know, that deal was, it's like their fingers were twitching the over the over the button. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Sitting there thinking, do we do it or, or do we not, you know? So I don't think we're close to their... I will say this, too. As I really look at this whole thing, I don't think anybody wants nuclear no. war. There's too much collateral damage with it, and everybody's so dependent on everybody else. I mean, you know, whether China wants to admit it or not, without us, they couldn't survive. You know, we buy too much of their stuff. So I don't know. It's just going to be a shell game and a dice game here for a little while, and hopefully they will... Uh, shoot craps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got to keep an eye on that. And certainly everything, you know, turns around to how it affects us here in this country, how it affects us financially. But it is something that certainly <clears throat> is in the back of my mind or even in the front of my mind to keep an eye on that. So let's transition to what's going on elsewhere in the economy and in the market. What's happening with oil prices out there? Yeah, oil prices have taken quite a big spike here in just a little while. It's tapered off here of late, but, you know, they were in the 60s, mid-60s here, what, 45 days ago maybe, and we've been as high as almost 90, and now I think we're sitting probably in the $87 range, something like that. 
Saudis are cutting back. Demand is still high. And, you know, China's starting to buy some, I guess they're getting oil now from Russia as well over there. So I don't know. It's not going to get good. I think probably oil prices are going to go higher. And we've seen, of course, of late here that oil fuel service companies, the Schlumbergers, the Halliburtons, and ExxonMobil, and some of those uh, companies have stock prices have gone up. And I think that's probably going to continue for a while as prices continue to spiral. And currently, America runs on oil. I mean, that's how we, uh, you know, get our goods and services with the people out there in the trucks. And, of course, translates into gasoline. All those people out there, you know, driving around doing what they've got to do to help us to afford the quality of life that we have in this country. I understand that Apple also has a, a new phone coming out. Another one? Yep. Apple Phone 15, I think, is the one it is right now. I'm not sure that there's a lot of new innovation there. I was trying to read something about it the other day, and I didn't really see... It's just very superficial, any changes. I heard that they were uh, changing the charging port to match what everybody else is doing, maybe to the USB-C, but I haven't confirmed that. That is going to be factual. I was reading their report. I did see that. And usually Apple likes to have some proprietary thing where you can only get it from Apple. So if they're going to be doing that, I think that is a step in the right direction. I've got an Android phone, and that's one of the reasons why I use the Android phone. I do have an Apple computer as well, and they both do have their benefits. But certainly Apple is one of those innovators out there, but they don't seem to be innovating quite as much anymore. Nope, not as much as they were. You know, AI is the next step, and everybody's trying to figure out, and they're scratching their head right now. You know, AI is fallible from the standpoint that it pulls from, I guess, what we would call known data or well-used data, whether that be correct or not. Right. (laughs) It's kind of some of the things that that we're learning. So artificial intelligence may not be quite as intelligent as we thought. Yeah, I I think it's really hyped up. And I mean, I went to chat GPT the other day and I was asking about, you know, the current presidential election race and how that would affect things. And, you know, the first thing it says is, well, I can only go up through September 2021. So I really can't talk about what's happening today. But in the past, this is what's happened. So anything past September 2021 it really doesn't have a handle on. I don't know when that's going to change, but you're right. I don't think that AI is cracked up to be everything that it is, but I did read something. I think it was the Denver Broncos football game. They kept going to a cheerleader that was attracting a lot of attention, and I mean, there was all these tweets about this cheerleader, and it turns out the cheerleader was artificially intelligent <laughs> created. It wasn't even a real person. They used AI to create this beautiful cheerleader, and be- and I thought, wow. I think I missed the story. Now, if you Google that, you will find that. Because I saw that and I thought, what the heck? I did not know you could generate this artificially intelligent person out there as a cheerleader. And uh, she got all of these like hundreds of thousands of tweets and she isn't even real. I think the one that kind of scared me recently was, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Ron DeSantis video that was generated by AI and it said, wow. hey, I'm dropping out of the race. I should never have been here. And amazing, you know, basically, and it was very realistic. And a lot of people, I actually had people call me thinking he dropped out mm-hmm. and, you know, it was totally fake. He hasn't dropped out. Yeah. And I think that's going to be where the rub is in the short term is, is right. these fake. Uh, it's a little bit like yelling fire in a safe building, right? It's right, not right. actually burning. You're putting people's safety at risk. You're putting, you know, and so I think there's going to have to be some legislation around that at some point. So it's the chicken little effect. Right, right. The yeah. sky is falling. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far, I mean, I think AI has the ability to do some good things, but all I have heard about it and my experience is that it's either outdated or it's being used for, you know, silly things such as creating an artificial cheerleader. But I think it does have some potential and I think that we we should keep an eye on it, but I don't think we should really focus on what AI is doing out there and expecting it to change our lives completely, at least not in the near future. Now, gentlemen, I have saved the best for last. I've been waiting for this for a long period of time. It's not happened yet, but again, the headlines are screaming, the recession is happening and it's going to be deep. What is your comment on that? What's your take? Well, this really speaks to where we are in this cycle of things right now. You know, we had a major investment firm come out and say, hey, there's just a 15% chance that we're going to have a recession. That happened, you know, earlier this week. And then yet earlier this week, there was another one that says we're knocking on the door of a major deep recession. And then if you look at all the things that are playing out, the inverted yield curve and all the things that have happened, that says to us, 
historically that we're going to have a recession. And then we look at all the way that uh, we're finally starting to see a few cracks in the labor market where there's not as many jobs available. We're also starting to see some major companies starting pay for new people at lower rates now. And, you know, things are just really kind of out of hand. I mean, I went to McDonald's the other day and I don't go there very often, but I bought one of their bacon quarter pounder and a small French fry. And it was $9.82. Oh Gosh. Wow. And I said to myself, I didn't even get a drink. If I yeah. got a drink, it had been $13, right? Because <laughs> <you know>, the... <laughs> It's crazy. So, you know, we have all this stuff going on. We've talked about in the past. I believe that there's a lot of money sloshing around. The boomers have been the recipients of a long bull market in the past here. I think they're propping people up. We know that credit card debt's at all-time highs. The music is eventually going to stop here, I still yeah. believe. And there won't be enough chairs for everybody to sit down. And so I would say... And, and I'm preaching to the choir. Most of our clients are people that are going to be listening to this. They're either out of debt, close to out of debt, getting ready to retire. And you need to stay that way and encourage your kids to stay that way because I just think there's going to have to be a reckoning day. This just can't be pushed forever. Yeah, the piper needs to be paid here. He's got his hands out. But, you know, here in the last bastion of sanity and particularly on this radio station, I think most people are like you and me. We have credit, but we're just not using it at this point. If we do use it, we pay it off with in 30 days. But still, I mean, there's the rest of the country out there. Boy, new iPhone 15. I'm in line for that one, baby. I got just enough left on this credit card before it's maxed out to buy this iPhone. And I think that things are going to be coming to a crashing halt. Now, those people who were not in the market because of the pending recession probably are going, wow, now I'm really not going to be in the market. How is this recession going to affect the economy and the markets in general, if indeed it does happen here? before the end of the year. Yeah, so a couple of things, you know, I would think that we would see the market would probably be higher right now if interest rates weren't five, five and a quarter, five and a half percent on fixed interest right now. You know, Jerome Powell has pushed that since March of 22, where the banks went to the Fed and borrowed money at zero to 0.25 percent, and now it's like five and a half percent. So if banks can borrow money from their customers, their depositors at four, four and a half, five percent, and they can do that back at what the Fed is doing, they're going to do that. And so money market accounts today are paying five percent in a lot of cases, CDs at five percent. If he pushes interest rates a little bit further to go ahead and push us into the recession, People are just going to hang out there and take that five and a half, maybe even some 6% interest may be on our horizon looking forward because they're going to do that with no risk and wait for this market and this whole economic thing to sort itself out. And then, of course, we got when we're going to talk about this later, we got elections and things coming up. So right now, conventional wisdom, looking at all the things that we normally look at, depending on who you talk to, everybody has a little different take on it. And we've never quite been this far in debt with mm -hmm. this much money sloshing around in the system. And so nobody really knows what to expect next. And throw on top of that the housing market, too. I mean, with mortgage interest rates, 7.5%, and even some people expect them to go up from there. A lot of people are having trouble finding buyers for those houses. Their drastic price reduction. So all of this together certainly cannot be good. But Jake and Randy, before we continue, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you about the topics that we have talked about today. So if you need answers, then request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review by calling 4 one seven eight eight nine seventy two thirty three. Again, that number is four one seven eight eight nine seventy two thirty three. Now, when you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line, more than likely Ashley, who will gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help you improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last thirty plus years. No cost, no obligation, no judgment for this review. It's 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Or request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, time for a break. There's more of Show Me the Money right after this here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Randy and Jake Floyd with Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about stress testing a portfolio and how to do it. 
And Randy and Jake, I'm sure that when you do these financial plans, you put a lot of work into them, a lot of efforts. You've illustrated them on the board, and really you've covered almost every base, if not every base possible. Then you present it to the client, and then the client says, this all looks fantastic, guys. This is spectacular, but how do we know that this is actually going to work in a real-life circumstance? That is where the stress testing comes in. So first of all, how do you stress test? And give us some examples of stress testing. Let's start off with how you do it. Okay, so when we look at that, Jeff, there's probably three or four things that come into play. A lot of people would tell you, well, according to the Monte Carlo simulation, which is a computer program that goes out and some of them do several hundred, some of them do a thousand different tests, and some of them even do more than that. And then they look at the probability of what's going to happen to a portfolio over the next 20 or 30 years. So that's one way that people go out and stress test. Then there's the process of looking at, you know, how do I build this to where I I can have earnings, have flexibility, have growth when things are good, have income when things are not so good. How do I balance that out? So we look at historicals and we look at, you know, where we've been in the market, where the market is, how oversold or, or uh, you know, underbought the market may be at that point in time. But historicals come in to a lot of play on this. Not that we rely totally upon those, but history is a good teacher for us. Now, when we start looking at equities versus bonds versus real estate and all the different asset classes, it's something that there's no just one rule of thumb that you can go by. You have to look at the environment, the interest rates, you know, where we are, what's going on with that, what's going on with all the production levels, where are markets hot, where are they cold, where have they been, where might they be going, where is money flowing out of, where is money flowing to. Those are all the things that we have to take into consideration when we stress test. But the basics of it are these. We take a certain amount of that money that people are going to have for retirement, and we want to put that in a position that is as safe as we can make it, absolutely as safe as we can make it. And sometimes we have to give up a little bit of yield on that side. However, the thing that we know is if people have worked a 30 or 40 year career, they've saved money, put it in their 401k, saved money in their bank accounts, their IRAs individually, whatever it may be, 403Bs, 457 TSPs. The biggest thing is most people have done a pretty good job of saving. And so the reason that it's really important to stress test any portfolio is to be sure that we aren't going to take a hit if the economy goes wrong that we cannot recover from. And so we have lots of models and lots of testing that we do to kind of plan that out. The other thing that we have to think about too is on a stress test is how much income does the client actually need from this portfolio? Sometimes we have people that come in and say, hey, I only need two or 3% per year. Then we have some people that need to push the edge of the envelope and they say, wow, I really need 7% per year uh, to out of that portfolio. So we have to look at those from two totally different perspectives to be sure and stress test that according to the needs of the client. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you take a portfolio, then you push it to the edge of the worst that could happen and then decide how it performs. And if there are any changes that need to be made, you make those changes. You mentioned that one of the techniques that you use is historical. So does that mean that you go back and look at the worst times in history and then compare that portfolio to what's happened there to see how it would have performed? So we certainly look at the worst times in history, but we really want to look at all the different things that can happen because history will probably not repeat itself perfectly. And if we just guard against what's happened before, we leave ourselves exposed to other things that can happen. So we want to look at market shocks, but we also want to look at what happens when interest rates go up 5%, you know, like they have recently. And there's quite a few different tests, you know, and we really, what we want to do is just build a portfolio with an extremely high percent chance of accomplishing our client's goals. So nothing is 100%, but I want to get as close to that as I can possibly get by managing the risk and getting a decent return. So there is historical stress testing, then there's hypothetical stress testing, which I would imagine is a little bit different. I mean, if there were a company in California, they may do a hypothetical test against what would happen if there's an earthquake or uh, an oil company might do so against an outbreak of war in the Middle East. Do you do hypothetical stress testing? Is that any different from just historical stress testing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to consider things that could happen that have not happened in the past. I mean, to your California example, I mean, I bet they didn't stress test about the homeless taking over San Francisco, for example. No, they didn't. No, you they know, didn't. and I think I think that that would have been unthinkable 
two or three years ago. You know what's happened there, and that the biggest, most luxurious brands in the in the world right. have closed up shop and moved out. So I think that that's one very specific example, right? So we're a lot of what we invest in is much more broad, much bigger companies. So we're not as localized as like California. But those are all things that we have to take into consideration. And one of the things we're going to talk about later in our next segment is politics. Right, you know, is definitely a risk. The president, Congress, different things that they could do to tax wise and things like that. And again, I'll leave that for the next segment. But that's definitely another form of stress test. Is is you know I think a lot of people would agree that the market it will be quite a bit higher 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. The question is, what's it going to do over the next six months to nine months based on some of those things we talked about, but also politically and the election cycle and things like that. That's another angle that we have to consider when we're stress testing. Yeah. And when you talk about politics, we spoke earlier in the first segment of the show about Kim Jong-un, you know, going to visit Putin. That's a political thing. And of course, uh, oil prices, but uh, also the impending recession. We've been waiting for it, but it looks like it may finally be here. So, I mean, when you stress test these portfolios, are you considering what would happen if it's the worst recession that we could ever have? I mean, do you want to plan for the worst and hope for the best? Well, sort of, but not really. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. so, uh, so one of the things we have to look at too is what are current economic trends and what's business and industry trends. So right now, if we look at that, we would say AI has blown up certain areas of the stock market, right? They've made tons of money. NVIDIA is what, Jake, up 250% year to date or something no like more. that. I mean, it's just nuts how high it is. And we know that AI is probably here to stay and going to be the big growth picture of the future. Now, conversely, Jeff, we also want to look at industries that may be dying and we may want to try to avoid some of those as we build portfolios as well. Just some very basic stuff here. You know, like we probably don't want to invest in vinyl record company or cassette companies anymore, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, the, the vinyl so, record company seems to see a resurgence, yeah. but yeah, my cassette player hasn't had anything in it probably in 35 years. And the 8-track, of course. Oh, you know, but- man. I've got an 8-track player. I don't want to get off on that one. i got an 8-track player, though. It's, some- it's high, high quality. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. man. i got the Tony Bennett ones. I just, I'm in heaven with that thing. Go ahead. Do you remember how they would used to be after they got a little bit worn? You had to stick something underneath it to kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> to, to wedge it. <laughs> to align the tape against the heads. And then at the end, yeah. it was supposed to reverse and go on. They were actually 8-tracks. You know, they went yeah. one direction, the other, the other, the other. Yeah. Hey, we're so, going down memory so, lane. I enjoy anyway, it. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, we have to be careful what we look at and make sure that we're looking at things in the right direction in general. And so, you know, the thing about looking at the S&P 500, we use that as the benchmark for most of the things that we look at. And the reason we do is because it's roughly 500 and depending on the day, 508 to 510 or 502 of America's largest companies, making up probably 75 to 80% of all the business done in the country. We look at those and that's kind of a self-policing, self-correcting thing. It's also something that's very easily measurable. Everybody can measure it from home daily. They can watch the nightly news and get the info. And so we use that as a benchmark, but we don't use that as, oh, that's how we're going to invest and we're going to rely upon that because there's this thing called sequence of returns that we have to talk about when we look at retirement portfolios. And you've heard me talk about Mr. Brown and Mr. Green, where Mr. Green and Mr. Brown both started with a million dollars. They decided they'd take a 5% withdrawal or $50,000 a year off their million. And how just based on timing, when they retired, not how they retired and not because they have both retired the same way, but the timing of when they retired for Mr. Green and Mr. Brown was different. And so Mr. Green at 83, retiring at 65, had three times as much money as he started with while Mr. Brown was nearly dead broke. And it was not due to the fault of either one of them, but what it was is Mr. Brown's portfolio was not adequately protected. It wasn't set up to factor in negative markets, which we know we're always going to have. Now we know this, the market's up the majority of the time, but when it's down and you're living out of your money, we need to have a really, really, really well thought out income stream. And what happens if we have a couple, three years where we'd have no growth or negative growth in the market? What happens if a portfolio fails a stress test? In other words, you've been doing this for a long period of time. I'm sure that you have put a lot of portfolios on that financial treadmill. If something does fail a stress test, what are some of the things that you can do to improve the likelihood that it is going to survive? I think a lot of it, Jeff, for most scenarios is maintaining a well-rounded portfolio. 
So that includes diversification, but diversification across industries and types of companies as well. With the benefit of hindsight, I can go back and say, hey, I should have just owned nothing but Apple stock since the last, since 2009, and I would have been in great shape. But with the benefit of hindsight, you don't get to invest that way. That's not the right way to invest, right? And so if I have nothing but a bunch of tech stocks and tech goes down on average, like it did last year, you know, a big portion of computer and techie companies went down, you know, 40 and 50%, that's way more than what the rest of the market went down, right? Which is closer to about 20%. And so a lot of your exogenous shocks can be weathered by having a good, well-rounded portfolio. That does not mean that I need to diversify into oblivion, meaning I don't need to own every stock that's ever been listed on the NYSE, like a lot of people do mm -hmm. through a lot of their mutual funds and things like that. You know, we want to be diversified enough that if there's a shock, we can we can weather that storm. But we don't want to be so diversified that we can't make any money and that we have no direction with the portfolio. And so I think when it comes to those stress tests, I think a lot of that comes down to understanding the relationship between the positions that you own. And that starts with actually understanding what you own, which is more than most advisors know uh, and certainly most clients. Well, Jake and Randy, I'm sure that based on our conversation, our listeners may have some questions about stress testing their portfolio. So if you do have those questions, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary retirement review. It's just a friendly conversation with Jake or Randy that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that may hinder you from reaching your goal. Stress testing, that's what we've been talking about. Again, there's no cost, no obligation, and no judgment for this retirement review. Randy and Jake, well, they'll meet you right where you are. That number, 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Now, this one call could make all the difference. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Glad you could join us this fine Saturday morning for Show Me the Money. My name is Jeff Shade. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of our show after this right here on my favorite station, 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the presidential election coming up and how does that normally affect investments? And it is going to be one doozy of a presidential election. I mean, there's so much turmoil about it already, and it hasn't even begun to happen yet. There's a lot of talk about it. But one of the big questions that we get is, what if this party wins? What if this party wins? So let's talk about that. How do you address that question? Well, if Biden wins, what's going to happen? If Trump comes in and wins, what's going to happen? Or if somebody who runs on the Republican ticket comes in and they happen, what's going to happen? The thing is, is we really just don't know. So so how can we approach this sort of conundrum? Yeah, that's a good question for sure. So if we look back over our shoulder, if we look over maybe the last maybe 100 years or so, we will see that both equity and bond markets tend to be muted leading up to a presidential election. Now, you always have the different times and the different financial conditions that are behind those. But let's say that for most part, returns leading up to an election are generally a little bit muted and returns after an election are also lower, especially if a new party comes into power. Now, I will say this. I think that that would be slightly different. I think if we can find a way this time to get a Republican into office and maybe slow down some of this out of control spending, I think the market would rally. However, like we said, you know, there, there's a whole lot of things pulling on this thing. We got all this money sloshing around in the system. We got a lot of debt out there that we've got to solve and figure out. But generally, the presidential election leading up to that over the last 90, 100 years, we have seen that returns tend to be muted. And, you know, I don't think this time is going to be any different. People are going to be wondering, what's the new administration going to do? Is there going to be a new administra administration? And good night if we have to keep this administration what does that mean right <laughs> so right. so there's a whole lot maybe even well i say more than ever not really i mean when we look back at the nixon years the reagan years and all the things remember when reagan got into office and they had the hostages and he said hey boys we're going to come over there and get you if you don't turn them loose and they did just yeah boom i remember that well <laughs> the same thing that will happen in ukraine if trump gets back in yeah, yeah i would agree so that was an interesting time and you're right jimmy carter was in office ronald reagan came in and 
and they said, "Uh uh-oh, we don't want to deal with that. And before you knew it, these guys were coming home. So there's a lot of market volatility that could happen in a presidential election, more than likely it can happen. In this case, because we do not know whether <laughs> President Biden will continue. So let's let's just assume that, OK, he may continue in office. Are those people that are out of the market or afraid of the economic situation right now? Are they just sort of a, a wait and hold situation? Or let's talk about what happens if President Biden does continue to be president. What's going to happen with the market in your best estimation? Yeah, so at this point in time, I will say this. For a lot of those folks that are out of the market now, with interest rates at 5 5.5 and, and maybe even headed to 6%, they're going to stay out <laughs> until something really changes and starts to push those rates down. They're not going to want uncertainty of what's what's taking place here. I, mean, I think on either side at this point. Uh, again, when you've got a 5% or maybe even a 55 or it could even be a 6% fixed return with little risk, people aren't going to run from that. They're not going to run back to the market and go, oh, well, you know, we might be able to make 7 or 8 and risk our money. And now they're going to take 6 and go to the bank is what I think is really going to happen. So, you know, the politics of this are important, you know, and, and you know the definition of politics, right? No. That's don't. many blood-sucking organisms, politics. <laughs> I love that. That's why I love you on this show, Randy. You enlighten us, you inform form is but most of all, you entertain us. Well, I'm happy I can be of help. <laughs> <laughs> Politics. And so humble. I'm going to remember that one. Politics. So if President Biden continues, I mean, it's pretty much going to be more of the same. It really hasn't worked out that well to this point. Can we really stand another four years of this? And will President Biden, I mean, bless him, he's not in the best of health at this point in time. But I don't know if he can last another four years and if the country can really stand some of the fiscal policies that he has implemented. Now, it's impossible for us to continue. I mean, we're supposed to be rolling the balance sheet down. We were at $21.5 trillion. I think the last time I looked at the M2, we're at 20.95. So we're not really rolling it down very much, and we're spending more, and we're at a deficit nearly every month. So we have got to stop this bleeding. We have got to stop printing money. And, you know, the the whole world really is kind of upset with us and has a right to be because all we've done is just throw our weight around and make it hard on them. And so, you know, I still think we live in the greatest country in the world, but we got to get some things under control here. We got to get our house in order. So with a new president could come changes, certainly in tax policies and, and fiscal policies. Let's talk about if there is a Trump presidency again or if there is a Trump equivalent, how we see things changing or, you know, the economy and the market turning around again. So there's a lot of people, you know, that think that you can't grow your way out of a problem. I can tell you that that's the only way economically to get out of this problem is we got to grow our business, grow our gross domestic product is what we have to do. We've got to get productivity back. That's where, and this is a key point I think here, that's where AI is going to play a very important role looking forward. And that's where it's going to really come into its own. I think I'll say something a little bit more pointed to that. I would say that If it even looks like we might not get Biden again, the market's going to rip up. I would say that right now, a lot of the market would consider that to be the most likely scenario as another Biden presidency. Now, I don't believe that, but I think that the consensus in the market is airing to that. So as we start to get through the primary season and we start to see what the matchup is, and if it's Trump versus Biden... You know, we know that polls are skewed to the left, so if it shows them running side by side, then that means Trump is winning. And so I agree that's probably the most likely scenario. You know, I would be fine with Vivek Ramaswamy. I'd be okay with Mr. DeSantis. Uh, I don't know really who I would prefer at this exact moment, just not Biden. Mm-hmm. Not Biden for President 2024 is kind of where I fall That's going to that. be your bumper sticker, your slogan. <laughs> yeah. So I certainly don't have any problem with the, the policies of Trump, but right, you know, right. I'm open to another president as well that, that can hold their own and that kind of thing. And that remains to be seen if there's anybody else in the field that can do that. We'll, we'll have to see over the next six months or so. But again, if the market gets a whiff of getting rid of Biden, I promise you this market will absolutely... <laughs> shoot up like a rocket. But if there's a whiff of getting rid of Biden, as you said, and the market appears to be improving, should somebody jump right in and take advantage of this? I mean, I would think that while the market is down, it's the time to uh, buy. But I mean, how do you expect investors should react to Biden maybe not being president again if there's a whiff of that coming down the pike? Should we just wait and see? 
Yeah, Jeff, I think that we need to be paying attention as this thing unfolds. You know, I, it's hard to say when that rally will come because we don't know when it will start to change in the perception of people who is going to be the next president of the United States. I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't say it publicly, but I think there's a lot of people very concerned about a second Biden term. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have no problems, no qualms <laughs> saying that publicly. Right. Um, and, and I'm in agreement, but I think that a lot of the world doesn't want to say that, but they are thinking that is, you know, what does another four years of this president look like? And I always like, there's, there's a guy that I watch occasionally on Rumble. His name is uh, Stephen Crowder. And what he always said, he always refers to Joe Biden as former vice president, Joe Biden, because he refuses <laughs> to call him his president. And, okay. uh, you know, I kind of, <laughs> that always makes me chuckle. Former vice president, Joe Biden. But I do think that it's hard to overstate the importance of this next cycle. I would argue, and again, granted, I haven't been on this planet for the last 60, 70 years. I've been here 38, but I'm a student of history, and I believe this election is as important as any election we've ever had. Right, um, right. Certainly since Lincoln, without any trouble. And, you know, there was other important elections. I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying this is a very, very important election for the outcome of the nation and the world and the champions of freedom that's all on the line this time. Well, a little more than three months is going to be 2024. That's the election year. A new president, if they are sworn in, will not be until January of 2025. It is, and if it is Biden, I mean, it could go as far as 2029. So, I mean, that's a long way away. So as an investor right now, sitting here just waiting and looking and seeing, would you say that it is wise to just keep our powder dry, stay on the sidelines at this point, or, or buy while things are down? I mean, what would you do personally? And I know this is just a personal opinion. We're not telling people what they should do, but what do you think is the thing to do if that's the situation for you? You know, I think we have to play a little bit of both sides right now, because if you you cannot afford to be totally out of this market because if we do get some favorable things happening and we and it starts to look like we get a different president, we may not get another chance to get in. So we cannot just sit totally on the <laughs> sidelines. However, we do want to have some dry powder because in the event that we get this market running south, we want to be able to buy certain companies that will get thrown out with the bathwater that are not necessarily problematic. And so we need a little bit of both. You need a little safety, but you also need some some opportunity. And so I know that's not a very direct answer, but I would say the next six months is as uncertain as just about any time in history. Right. I'd like to add one thing to that too, Jeff. If you are, like many people are on here, baby boomers or maybe not quite a baby boomer, and you had the fortunate setup of being involved in the market the last 132 month run we had since February, of, you know, up through February of 2020 when COVID hit, and you had a big run up and you took some money off the table, put some on the sidelines and you're half in or something like that. I think that today there's, I don't know how many trillion dollars sitting in money market accounts, which are liquid paying five to five and a quarter, maybe even five and a half percent in some cases. I think if you're that person, then yeah, you need to go ahead and stay in with what you have and what you've had, kind of like Jake alluded to. But, you know, I would not be too quick right now to go, you know, all in, especially even if even if we see that there's going to be a favorable election, we need to be ready, like Jake said, but you're going to already going to be in 50%. You're going to capture a lot of that growth on the upside, but let's make sure we have a solid trend before we go all back in and maybe we dollar cost average in over 90 days or something like that to really watch it and see what happens. So we're, we're you know, we're talking way down the road, a lot of conjecture here, but I would say, uh, you know, the market is really not that far, if you think about it, off of its all-time highs right now. Well, we close. What's our highest close? Forty-eight and a little change on the S and P. Forty-eight eighteen, I think, was the yeah. So forty-eight eighteen. We're at forty, nearly forty-five hundred right now. Forty-four and some change. Mm -hmm. So while yes, we're down. You know, we were down twenty percent in just twenty twenty-two alone, nineteen point four four to be exact. So we're not that far off the all-time highs. Now we think that we may have, we could have some trickle down here before year end if a few things don't play out right. But, you know, time will tell. But I think that if you're you're sitting there and you've got some stock you've had for a while, you've got some gains.
trades in there, I would hang on to that. If you've got some money sitting in cash, get it into a money market or something like that. And we can certainly help you uh, line that out and get that done if you'd like for us to. And then let's just kind of, as Warren Buffett said, you know, the patient are the ones that get rich. Right, right, right. <laughs> I would say too, definitely do not allow the bank to use your money for free. Like Randy said, if, you, okay. if you've got a substantial amount of money in the bank and you got it in checking or savings earning 0.1 or something, definitely figure something out where you can get into a money market or a short-term CD at least or something like that where it's certainly very easy in today's world to make 5% over the short term. So, you know, definitely don't let that bank just take you to the cleaners because all they're doing is taking your money and making the spread on it. So right, you might right. as well make them pay you for it. If our listeners have questions about how the presidential election could affect their retirement portfolio and they'd like some help with their retirement journey, once again, you can call 417-889-7233. Get in and get your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial consultation with Randy and Jake. Again, that number, 417-889-7233. It's not going to cost you a dime, or you can request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. If you're just joining us, this is Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. And we've just finished discussing what if President Biden continues to be president or there is a change in administration. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. You're going to get this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey to a successful retirement. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about whether or not gold should be part of your IRA and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about, should I buy a gold IRA? And, you know, there are all these commercials. I see them on TV. I hear them on the radio that says, you should buy a gold IRA. You should have gold in your IRA. I mean, it's for centuries people have relied upon gold to trade and so forth and so on. And I don't know if it's all uh, cracked up to uh, what it's supposed to be there. I don't believe the hype necessarily, but we're going to talk about it here. First of all, what is a gold IRA? So a gold IRA is not something that you can just go out and buy at a typical broker dealer. Okay, mm -hmm. so the Fidelities, the Charles Schwab's, the Morgan Stanley's, the Edward Jones and those guys, I mean, you just can't go out and just buy physical gold or have them store it for you somewhere. You generally have to do that through a self-directed IRA. Now, that sounds like, okay, that's pretty simple. It's an IRA that I direct myself, right? Well, that's sort of true, but it really involves a different type of custodian. That's somebody that's going to have custody of your money and then actually have ultimately maybe even custody of your gold the way that works out. And, you know, there's a set of fees that come along with that. Gold is a non-traditional asset for IRAs. It's, it's just hard to hold unless you have a specific setup for it. The challenge I have with gold is two things. Number one, every time you buy and every time you sell, you got to pay somebody. It costs a little bit more to hold that gold and that investment than it does just to, Now, if you just want to buy it and put it in a safe at home, you know, I guess that's fine. People say, you know, well, you know, I'll be at least be able to trade if the apocalypse comes and all that. Um, I'm not so sure that's true, Jeff. If there's me and you and another person in the room and you got bullets and I got bread and they got gold, you and I are going to trade and he's going to starve. Right. Uh, it's, it's kind of my thought process <laughs> on it. And the other thing I would say, you know, if we look at gold historically, it's been nearly $2,000 an ounce before, maybe 40, 42 years back. It's where it's at now. In between, it's been high and low a couple of different times. But let's just say that if you had bought gold in 1984, you might have made six times your money. If you'd have bought an S&P 500 fund in 1984, you'd have made 28 times your money. So, you know, I just don't know right now. I just feel like, too, that everybody that wants to buy gold, I think, has pretty much bought it. I just don't see a big influx of gold buyers coming to the table right now, which is the reason that it's not spiking. Generally, if I have more buyers than sellers, what happens? 
price pushes up. Mm-hmm. If I got more sellers than buyers, price goes down. So I think we've hit kind of a level here and a point of resistance. And plus something really, 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 really different that I can't even forecast would happen. I don't see it going just a ton higher. Well, and I think a lot of that is what a lot of these gold conspiracy theorists are talking about, which is, you know, that the government is going to mandate that gold is the new reserve currency again, and we're going to do away with paper money and gold's going to go from 2000 an ounce to I've heard I've seen even some articles talking about gold going to 70,000 an ounce. Well, I mean, that's the kind of story you have to make up if you believe it's going to go much higher from here because there's just no, like Randy said, I, I have an agreement. Again, I, I'm not saying if you own gold that you should go out and sell it right now. I'm just simply saying I don't know that I would be just backing up the truck at $2,000 an ounce. So if history shows us that other forms of investments have achieved much greater results than gold, I mean, why are so many people pushing gold? You've got to have it. You've got to have it into an IRA. I mean, every grade B celebrity is out there pushing. you got to have gold. What's behind all this stuff? Well, the celebrities get paid a lot, and the commissions on gold are huge. I think the average person pays about a 15% commission to buy gold, wow. and then another 15% commission to sell it. So, I mean, if that's the case, and, and by commission, it's not like a structured commission. It's just simply if, if silver is $20 an ounce, it's just going to cost you 22 23 dollars to buy it and so that's a commission right and so if you go to sell it and it's twenty dollars an ounce you're going to get 17 18 dollars an ounce out of it unless you have huge bulk in which case you're still going to pay at least five plus percent commission which is a huge commission in the investment world i mean that's that's a lot of money and you know it's hard to make money if every time you're trading something you're paying a 15 percent commission so because of that because there's such a large amount of money in it you know that's why you have all these celebrities being paid to endorse it and why every commercial you see on any kind of conservative news anywhere is buy gold buy gold buy gold and so you always have to consider the source with these things right it's kind of like when you watch the super bowl and you watch the commercials you know i like to watch those commercials because a lot of them are funny however You know, those commercials cost five, 10, 15 million dollars a spot mm-hmm. for 30 seconds, depending on when it is and which Super Bowl we're talking about. And so, knowing that, you know, whatever they're advertising, you have to be like, wow, they must be making a lot of money on this because how can they, how else can they afford to spend five, 10, 15 million dollars on a 30 second spot? We've talked about gold here. That is one way that you can put precious metals into an IRA, but there are other precious metals. Are there precious metals such as silver, palladium, whatever these things are that may be more advantageous than gold? And will they have the desired result better than gold will? Well, I do think when we look at other precious metals, copper being in there, platinum, palladium, those actually have application in manufacturing and goods and services you know, that people are going to purchase. Whereas gold just kind of sits there. Right, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, they do use gold in certain electronics, but it's cost prohibitive to use yeah. on the vast majority of electronics, right? right? So, you know, if you go and buy a really nice HDMI cable or something, it might be gold plated, but you, you know, you're going to pay a hundred plus dollars for that cable. I agree with Randy. I think the other part to consider here is back to the original question, which is, should we buy a gold IRA? You know, most people, when they're talking about their IRA, they're talking about retirement assets, obviously, but also the extraction of those assets for retirement income, meaning you're going to at some point need to spend it. The problem is, is guess what you have to do with gold if you want to get income out of it? Because it doesn't pay a dividend and and it's not very liquid. You got to go sell some of that gold in order to get your income for the month. Well, guess what? If you do that, we just talked about there's going to be a commission associated with that 10, Mm -hmm. 15%. So I think when you look at it through that lens, especially if you need it every month, you're going to liquidate a year at a time. You're going to do one month at a time. I mean, and there are solutions for these things, but they're all very expensive. It's going to be hard to make money over the long term unless gold goes exponentially higher from here, you know, three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 an ounce, which again, I'm not saying that's impossible, but I do think it's not very likely. But to add insult to injury too, Jake, you know, you're paying the commission and then it's an IRA. So you got to pay the tax as well. If you've made, you know, as you've made money, cause you've never paid any tax on that money. So right. you could be looking at, you know, 20, 25% cost to get your income. Despite our conversation here today about gold, and it doesn't sound like we're too pro on that, if somebody says, darn it, I don't care what those guys have said on the radio, I want gold in an IRA because I like Bill Devane, he's a great actor, and I'm going to go ahead and buy that. Does the gold actually have the same contribution limits and withdrawal requirements as other IRAs? 
Yes, Jeff, there is no difference in the gold IRA or any other IRA. Uh, if you have a self-directed IRA, you even have real estate in there, which some people do. You still have to, when you reach that age of now 73, for those people just turning RMD age, you still must take the required minimum distribution from that IRA. So if people really are into gold, they're into precious metals and so forth. I mean, we've discussed the practicalities of them, that there are commissions when they're bought and they're sold. They haven't appreciated as much as other assets. I mean, what is the purpose then? Why would somebody, what is a positive reason to own gold, do you think, or other precious metals? I think the positive reasons that most people want to own gold, um, I think a lot of it is in, a, in an apocalyptic scenario, people want to be able to trade okay. for other goods. And I think there, there's maybe some limited application for that in the very early days of that scenario. But I'd say long term, there'll be other commodities, bullets, coffee, cigarettes, food, that'll be much more valuable in my opinion. I think the other thing that people are thinking is that you know there's a lot of states legalizing gold as legal tender. And I think think there's a lot of people out there that are telling everybody, telling the public that, you know, this is part of a big switch that's about to happen and basically your paper money is worthless and that mm. kind of thing. I think that's really where most of it stems from. So it's the same argument that I hear every day about CBDCs, which is, you know, currency backed cryptocurrencies and Again, I do think that that's a risk, and I'm not for that, but I also think that realistically it's not right around the corner like a lot of some of the right-wing media suggests that it's literally like tomorrow. I've, I've even heard several things over the last two months where they say, next week this is going to happen. Okay. Well, it's six weeks later and it hasn't happened. So right. I think there's fear-mongering of people to get them to buy whatever it is that they're selling. So we need to be a little careful and consider the source and consider what the likelihood of what they're saying is to be true. Again, I'm concerned about currency-backed cryptocurrencies. I'm concerned about the dollar. I'm, it's not that I'm not concerned about that. I am. I just don't think... If you imagine for a minute, Jeff, that tomorrow all paper currency is totally worthless. I mean, you'd have 20, 30% of the population die in their houses because they're right. just not ready for that switch. So the government's not going to do that. Again, I'm not saying the government's benevolent and is out for our own good, but I think anybody really looking at that would say that's a pretty extreme stance to take. Again, anything's possible, but I think that we need to be worried about the, the cryptocurrency thing maybe 5, 10, 15 years out, but I don't think tomorrow's the time to worry about it. And same thing for the dollar. I think we should be more focused on the election and drumming up support for somebody other than Joe Biden if you want to see the dollar get strong again. Yep. Well, that's the takeaway, I think, from today's program is the election result. But getting back to the gold part of it here, too, you were talking about using it as a currency. And I mean, I can't go into the 7-Eleven or I can't get gas and use gold ingots to pay for that, too. As a matter of fact, I see more businesses that are moving away from just paper money. There are businesses, and I'm sure that maybe you've encountered them, I have, who have said, you know, we no longer are accepting cash. We will only take uh, credit or any sort of digital currency. So, Again, I don't think that bodes well for the future of gold as a currency, nor any kind of precious metals. But again, our listeners can make their own choices. And if you do have questions about whether or not gold or precious metal should be part of your portfolio, you want to find out how to buy it, you want to find out what to do with it, call 417-889-7233. Sit down and talk with Randy and Jake about your individual situation and ask for your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment Floyd Financial Review. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime when you call that number, 417-889-7233. Ashley will set you up with Randy or Jake, get you in for a conversation that could change your retirement path. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, gentlemen, this has been a very exciting show, an interesting show for me entertaining to say the least, but we are out of time. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, thank the fine people here, the last bastion of Saturday, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Andy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.
The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.